This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today we conclude our sermon series, Prophets and Kings, and learn how disciples repent. The story of Hosea offers a rich metaphor for the infinite love and grace of God. Although Hosea's experiences are shocking, he becomes a living image of God's unwavering love to his unfaithful people. And now, here's Martha with our message. Today's scripture reading comes from Hosea 1, 2 through 10. This is from the New Revised Standard Version. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for in a little I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. Then the Lord said to him, Name her Loruhema, for I will no longer have pity on the house of Israel or forgive them. But I will have pity on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow or by the sword or by the war or by horses or horsemen. When she had weaned Loruhema, she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said, Name him Loemai. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the people of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which can neither be measured nor numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we've actually made it. I think I celebrated a little too early Uh, last week with you when I suggested that we were almost done with this particular sermon series, and I think some of you thought we were done, and we're happy about that, but we've got one more to go with yet another rather uplifting scripture. Thank you, Zach. We are in our sixth, I think, and final week of a sermon series that we've been calling Prophets and Kings, in which we've been looking at some of those Old Testament scriptures of the prophets. And oftentimes the prophets were given a message that was directed to those in power, which in the ancient world were basically the kings. And their message often went something like this, straighten up, change your corrupt practices, or destruction is going to come. That's pretty much how the prophets' messages went. And the messages of the prophets spanned several hundred years in the portion of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. And so they often overlapped and they seemed to go on and on and on. And they also seemed to have a little bit of a gloom and doomish feel to them. Hosea, whom we look at today, is really no different from the others. He has a message of a warning. But he also offers a ray of hope. Believe it or not, in that scripture that we just read, there is a ray of hope for these people. There's a glimmer that God will actually restore them. He offers a warning, just like all of the other prophets. But the way that he does his message, or the way the prophet Isaiah was tasked with delivering his message, was a little different. And there's a focus in his message on redemption and repentance. Now those are two deeply theological words, 
that Old Testament scholar Dr. Sandra Richter calls biblish, meaning they are biblical words, they come from the Bible, but they've been overused so much through the centuries that they've become gibberish to us. And so she calls them biblish because we've kind of lost what they really mean. So let's look at redemption first. There are two books in the Old Testament, the portion of the Bible prior to the coming of Jesus, that actually serve as, as summaries or, or microcosms of the entire story of salvation. Now we tend to think that salvation came along when Jesus came along, but it's actually a thread throughout the entire Bible. The first book, there's two books. One is by the name of Ruth. Many of you may have heard of the name of Ruth or know that story. And the second one is the one that we just read, Hosea. Now, real briefly, in Ruth's story, Ruth's story gives us the legal definition of redemption. The story of Ruth is she was a young widow who clings to her widowed mother-in-law. And a widow in the ancient world without a, a male, a patriarch, to care for them was a destitute person. But woven into the fabric of the Old Testament laws that God gave the people was this idea of redeeming. It's actually called a Leverite law, which I know means nothing to you, and it's, it's actually called a kinsman redeemer. What that means is if you are a widowed woman, a young widowed woman with no sons to care for you, there is a law built into God's Old Testament laws that would provide for you. The next of kin male would have the duty and the responsibility of marrying you and providing for you. Now, I know that sounds absolutely insane to us today, and I would agree, but this was thousands of years ago. The very fact that such a law was in the Bible shows that God's people were set apart from the other peoples of the world. Redeeming in that nature... Is a, is a legal process, shows that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a restoring of a person to their, to their goodness, to their status of protection. Well, long story short, Ruth had one of those. His name was Boaz. Boaz stepped in, married Ruth, saved Ruth and her mother-in-law because he became their provider and they were no longer destitute. Now, we can debate the political correctness of that all day long, but it was just an ancient practice. But what it shows us is this term redeem and redemption was a legal term. It was a practice that the people were used to doing. It's something they understood as restoring someone to goodness. So now to Hosea and the rather uplifting scripture that we just read. Hosea, let's place him in, in the time history. Hosea, his Ministry as a prophet spanned the years of 750 to 722 BCE, which means before the Common Era, which means about 700 or so years before the time of Jesus. He was one of the last prophets to speak before the northern kingdom of Israel fell. Now, I showed you guys a map a few weeks ago. I'm going to spare you the map today. But by the time we get to this point in history, the once united kingdom of Israel had split into two, the northern kingdom called Israel, because again, that's not confusing, and then a southern kingdom called Judah. 
Hosea's message ran right up to 721 when the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, carried off the people who made up the 10 tribes of, out of 12, and they were carried off and absorbed into society and never seen or heard from again. That's when Hosea came on the scene and gave his message. His message was different from all of the others because it painted a powerful picture of God's unfailing love and grace. While it seems harsh to us, and it does carry a heavy warning, there are elements of redemption and grace in Hosea's message. The difference in Hosea's message is he didn't just speak it. He did orally, verbally speak it, but he embodied what he was called to do. He modeled his message and it served as a living example to the people that despite God's anger, God would restore them. So how did Hosea do this different? Our scripture that we read begins with when the Lord first spoke through Hosea. That word through is a very important word here. When God spoke through Hosea, he gave him an instruction. Go take for yourself a wife of prostitution and have children of prostitution. Sounds pretty enlightening, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It sounds harsh. Even as I speak that word and the, and the word that was in our translation that we read, you're sitting there going, why are we talking about that in church? It's harsh. And there, to be fair, are other ways to translate that. Some, some uh, Bible translations use the word promiscuous woman or a woman of ill repute. And there are several ways that you could actually translate that. But whatever the extent of the translation that we use, what we can see is God told Hosea, go marry someone that mama is not going to be happy with. This is not the kind of woman you take home to show mama. This is the one that the, all the people would have said, what the heck is he thinking? Does he not know her reputation? This girl is nothing but trouble. Nothing good can come from this marriage. That's the one that Hosea was told to go marry. Off he goes. And so he finds this woman of ill repute, and her name is Gomer. Don't you, don't you just love that? I hope it sounds better and a little bit more alluring in the Hebrew than Gomer. So off he goes, and he finds this woman named Gomer. And he marries Gomer, and they have children. And then we're told in the scripture that, we're, that we read that, that, that the children's names, it's easy for us to gloss over that and think, okay, why, what, what does that mean? Those names are very, very important to Hosea's message. So they have three children, and they have their names in the ancient world had a deeply, deeply significant meaning tied to your identity. Now, I know most of us probably have our names because our parents picked up the latest copy of the most popular baby names at the time or a family name. I shared not too long ago, sorry, I forgot to warn you of this, well, how my daughter got her name. We had two names picked out for her and we wanted biblical names. And long story short, Jordan was one of the names that I had selected because in the Bible, 
the people had, had been rescued from slavery in Egypt, and then they crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land, a new way of life. For me, when she came along, it was a crossing over from one way of life to a new way. And that's why her name is Jordan. Now, I know some of you are out there going, oh, isn't that sweet? And you're thinking, oh, we just picked out the baby name for ours. If you're feeling bad about that, just wait till you understand what Hosea's kids' names meant. So they have the firstborn. It's a boy, a bouncing baby boy. His name is Jezreel. Big deal, right? Think back to our first sermon in the series. We looked at a man called, uh, named King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel, which if you were not here for that, ser- that sermon, that in and of itself should probably tell you what you need to know. King Ahab and Jezebel were bad people. Jezebel actually had a prophet murdered at this town called Jezreel. Some years later, there was another neighboring kingdom that came in and had King Ahab, his entire household, slaughtered at Jezreel. Him, his children, his wives, his servants, everybody killed at Jezreel. And it was the beginning of the end for that kingdom. Naming your child Jezreel would have been about the same as saying, you are World Trade Center Tower North. Or you are named Auschwitz. You did not name your children or your child that name. It essentially meant the end is near. So following this rambunctious little boy named Jezreel, along comes a baby girl, a precious baby girl named Lohurama, which means not loved. Talk about a warped childhood. Can you imagine sitting in second grade as the roll is called, John, here, Judy, here, not loved, here. But third time's a charm. They have a third one. Along comes another baby boy, and they stand a chance at getting it right this time, or decent, not even right, just a decent name. They name this one Lo-Ami, which means, are you ready? Not mine. Not my people. Who names their children these names? Each of these names, even his marriage to this woman, and these names of these children are the embodiment of his message. He's trying to show the people God was using Hosea to to model how God felt toward the people, and God was angry. Now, for those who are just joining us in this series, God wasn't angry just for the sake of being angry. What we've seen over these last few weeks is there were people being exploited, children, women, immigrants being taken advantage of. They had almost sunken back into the degree of enslaving people that they had escaped from to begin with. So God was angry. God had to be angry at that. Because to turn a blind eye from those things means God didn't care. God's anger is always rooted in compassion and concern. And those children's names exemplify God putting an end to the suffering of people. But there's a tug of war going on in this scripture that at first glance is kind of hard for us to understand. Listen to this again. Name her Lohurama, that's the one who means not loved, not pitied. 
For I will no longer have pity on the house of Israel or forgive them. But I will have pity on the house of Judah. I will save them. The scripture goes on. Name him, lo, a me, for you are not my people. I am not your God. But in the very next breath, the scripture tells us, yet the number of the people of Israel will be like the sand of the sea. You can neither measure them or number them. You are not my people, it will be said, but then it will be said, children of the living God. Can you see the tug of war in there? It's as if God says, I am so mad at you. I no longer feel sorry for you. Oh, but I'm going to save you. It's as if God says, you are not behaving as my people. I no longer want anything to do you, do with you, but that's okay. I love you anyway. There's a tug of war in there. If you're a parent, you know that one. You know that one really, really well. But that tug of war demonstrates God's unrelenting grace and mercy and love for the people. God was angry, yes, but God's love always trumps God's anger. So let's go back to Gomer. That's the children's name and their metaphor. But what about Gomer? Long story short, you can read the rest of, it's actually the bulk of the story is in the first three chapters of Hosea. Then there's, then there's other remaining uh, prophecy after that. Long story short, Gomer went back to her promiscuous ways. We don't know the timing. It's, it's kind of hard to tell how the timing of all of it happened in the story. But she had sunken so low back to her ways that she sold herself into slavery. So all those rumors that nothing good can come of this marriage came true. Hosea, no doubt, riddled with shame and embarrassment, was instructed by God to go buy her back. And he went and he paid an exorbitant amount of money to bring his wayward wife home, thus redeeming her. Hosea chose to humiliate himself in order to restore her to a place of wholeness and healing. Hence, Hosea's message was delivered with his life, as was Jesus's. A read through the writing of Hosea shows us not only is this a, a microcosm or a summary story of redemption, but it also calls for repentance. Repentance is one of those biblish words. Jesus often called for repentance, and it simply means to change. Just simply means to change directions to go another way. And Hosea's message calls for repentance, but not out of guilt. He calls for repentance for change because of God's great love demonstrated in redemption. Redemption, this, this buying back or restoring us to this original intended life of goodness and freedom and joy is what Jesus did for us on the cross. One of the most freeing lessons that we can learn from Hosea is that we are not judged by our past. We are not judged by our past. But repentance means because we are not judged by our past, we want to change our future. Repentance isn't negative. It's life-giving. 
It's freeing. Repentance means accepting the wrong a person did and realizing that they're not defined by that wrong. Personally, repentance means accepting the wrongs I've done, you've done, we've done, and realizing we're not defined by that. Not because we've earned the right to not be defined by that, but because God redeemed it all. I have a dear friend who introduced she actually introduced me to uh, recovery, the recovery community and Alcoholics Anonymous. And she introduces herself first and foremost as a child of God. She has not always done that. She used to introduce herself, we're going to use the name Jane here. Hi, I'm Jane. I'm an alcoholic. That's how she used to introduce herself. Now, if you encounter her, she says, hi, I'm Jane. I'm a child of God. And she continues, I'm also an alcoholic, I'm also a workaholic, I'm a codependent, and on and on the list of things goes, she says. But then she says her stuff doesn't define her. What defines her is her identity as a child of God, one, here's our word, redeemed by Jesus. What she means by that is her identity is not wrapped up in her past it is not wrapped up in her shortcomings, but is wrapped up in who God says she is. And God says, you are dearly loved. Our past, your past, my past, it's a part of our story. It just is. But it's not the whole story. The trials and hardships of life today, they're a part of our story. They're a part of this world. But they're not the whole story. The brokenness of humanity, the shootings, the rage, the anger, the sickness, the loss, they're part of the story, but they're not the whole story. The whole story is that God, through Jesus Christ, bought us back from those hard times and said, you are my people. You are loved, you are restored, you are precious, and I will not forsake you. If we read through the rest of Hosea, what we would see is those three names of the children were reversed. They were given new names, and they were called dearly loved. You are my people. They were given a new identity. The story of Hosea and the story of redemption is our story. You are loved. You are restored you are precious, and God will not forsake you. That is the story of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as guest speaker, the Reverend Ann Robbins, delivers a message on the path that leads to life, based on John 13, verses 34 and 35. See you then.